If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The verse that uh, Tracy was reading in the, in the video talks about that, um, talks about a husband and wife's relationship. But then he comes back and he says, this is a picture of the church and that the church is the bride of Christ. If you look in verses 25 and 27, it's through 27, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It says that the church, second image, is the bride of Christ. As a group of about seven men sat around a creative planning, worship planning table, every one of us said, I can't really relate to that bride thing. None of us could really understand. It's kind of difficult for a guy to say, hey, let me tell you what it's like to be the bride. Okay. We're the bride of Christ. And uh, that's, that's a little difficult. But We can understand and learn and then try to put ourselves there. So men, as we talk about that the church is the bride of Christ, you're a part of that. We're all a part of that. We are the bride of Christ. We're going to talk to you about what that means. What does it mean for us as a church individually when it says that we are the bride of Christ? And that Christ, as the husband of the bride, gave himself up for us gave his life for us. And then as he gave his life for us, he then sanctifies us. He sets us apart so that there is without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. So let's talk about what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? The first thing is this. The first thing that you'll see as a bride of Christ is mutual commitment, mutual commitment. What does it mean for a believer to be a part of God's family and to be the bride of Christ. When you, when you look at, at a husband and wife, there's a mutual commitment. There is a conscious choice of both of them. It's a conscious act of the will. Usually a man will propose to a woman, a woman will accept that proposal. And he says, I want you to be my wife. She will then come back and say, I want you to be my husband. They agree, it's a conscious choice of the will. And there is this mutual commitment that we have. He says, I'm committing myself to you. She says, I am committing myself to you. With Jesus as the husband and the church as the bride, then what is happening is that Jesus initiates the relationship. Jesus is always the one who initiates the relationship. And he says in Luke 19.10, for the son of man, which is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and he seeks after us. And so for you here today, many of you are believers and you'll say, I have entered into that relationship with Christ. There are others of you that are here that you say, Danny, I got to be real honest with you. I've never had this, what you call a relationship with Christ. Well, let me tell you, Christ is seeking you. He is coming after you trying to get you to accept his gift of grace that he has. And so this is what usually happens is the man is usually the initiator in the relationship. 
And what Christ does is he seeks us until we find him. And then when we find him, we join with him in this relationship. Now, a lot of men could probably stand up and give your story about how you were seeking after, after your wife, except for those few that are whipped, and that is the wife came after them. But that's a whole different story. But for most, it was the man went after the wife. It, it happened with me and Janice. I, no, I didn't stalk her. I, I, I pursued her. I pursued her. And, and you know the you know the stories how we uh, we worked to, we worked in the same company but in different areas we went together on a strike duty spent a couple of days there came back home and when the strike was averted and, and when we came back home I went to church that Sunday we drove back early that Sunday morning I went to church that morning and when I went to church that morning they stood up and they said we have revival coming and revival is going to be happening next Sunday and so for all of our members we're asking you this night this Sunday night to go visit prospects and we want you to pick up a card and it says a will you visit card and as you pick up this will you visit card we would like for you to find prospects that are in this area and you knock on their door and you visit with them and ask them if they'll come and be a part of revival God spoke to my spirit at that moment and I said yes God I feel that there's a prospect out there that needs to get a visit from you and needs to get a visit from you tonight. And so I did two things that every man would do. Number one, I picked up that card, will you visit? Then I was staying in the apartment complex down here and I laid out by the pool for two hours to work on my tan. And then I I picked out whatever it was that would make me look sort of good. And sure enough, around seven o'clock at night, I made my way over to the apartment complex where Janice Culberson was knocked on her door strictly as a spiritual thing, wanting her to be a part of revival, thinking God could get a hold of her heart, you know? And, uh, and there it was, and she opens the door and I'm, Hey, I'm going to invite you to revival and all those things. And by the way, you think you'd like to go out later this week. So it was good. You know, you got to kind of prime them before revival. So it was, it was wonderful. It was the pursuit that took place. And then that was the beginning. And see what happens is that, is that Jesus pursues us <coughs> And when he does, and when we make that agreement, there's that mutual commitment. The church is the bride of Christ. We have a mutual commitment to each other. So as members of this body, there's a commitment you have to Christ, and there's a commitment that he has to you. He says, I have done it all. I've paid it all. I've given you the gift of salvation. And when you accept that gift, then we are to live for him. So first thing, there's mutual commitment. Second of all is celebration. And when you think about a bride, one of the words you think about is celebration. Many girls, and I'll hear some of them tell me, they have dreamed about their wedding for years. And they've cut all these things out of the wedding magazines and, and stuff, and they've, they've dreamed of that day. And they dreamed of the dress and of the flowers uh, and of uh, the decorations and how everything will be. And they've also dreamed that there would be that one special man that they would be able to connect with and spend the rest of their life with. It's a celebration. And, and you know, that's a part of what it means to be the bride of Christ. You know, as, as more as I, I review over these images, I just get a little bit angry when people say church and boring, church and boring. It should not be that way. This is a celebration for you to be a part of God's church. That is a joyous occasion. You are the bride of Christ. And and as a bride looks forward to that day when they unite with with their husband, 
it's the same thing with us as we look forward to this relationship that we have with him. And every day there's a joy on there. And I can tell you, and our, our wedding, it was a celebration. It was, it was just, it was just wonderful. And, and, and you know, as, as I was standing over in that conference center where I got married and I stood right down here and I saw Janice walking down that aisle, I mean, I, there for, I, I hope she was excited. I was really excited. Uh, you know, most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. And she comes walking down right here and then we unite together right there, arm in arm. And, and there's this glow, that excitement, that radiance about the wedding and, and she was so pretty. I talked through most of the ceremony. I kept looking at her and said, you are so pretty. You are so pretty. And Dr. Carter is trying to get my attention. You know, he's doing the ceremony. And I said, you're just beautiful. Yes, it's pretty and everything. And I was just, it was a celebration. It was a celebration. And then, you know, at the end when they say, uh, uh, you make your vows and they pronounce you husband and wife. And they say, you may kiss the bride. I was really enjoying that. And when they say, kiss the bride, I kissed her. And as I was kissing her, Carter leans up and he says, Wood, that's enough. (laughs) He had to end the celebration over there. But it's a celebration. And when it says that you're the bride of Christ, that is something to celebrate. And we celebrate our relationship with him. And so there's this mutual commitment. There is a celebration, but there's a loyalty exclusivity. Use both those words. There's a loyalty and an exclusivity. In marriage, there is to be fidelity, a loyalty, and an exclusivity in your marital bond. And we know this. It's in, it's, it's in the vows that we take. I promise to love, honor, cherish, and trust you in sickness and in, in uh, health uh, and, and until, days, uh, until the days that we are parted. I will commit myself to you. That's the fidelity, the loyalty, exclusivity. Once there is a husband and a wife, that husband and that bride, once that husband and bride, the groom and the bride, they come together, the husband and the wife, that's one. The Bible says they become one flesh, and it means that that is a relationship that is to be permanent, a relationship that there is to be loyalty and fidelity in that relationship. Now, this is, where we're, this, is, this is how we're going to shift over here to the purposes. I want you to follow with me over here. Because this is what Jesus said that he is doing for his bride. Look at that verses 25 through 27. And I want you to look at some verbs over here. It says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, he loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. That means that what Jesus did was he went to the cross to die for our sins. Because he loved the church, because what he saw was people who were lost and separated from God. Because God is a holy God, we are sinful people, and all of the trash in our life, all of the stains and the dirt of sin, that muddy water that was like we saw in the video, it was separating me from a pure, holy God. But what he did was he died on the cross. He gave himself, he gave his life. He gave his life so that we could have eternal life. So he says, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That he might sanctify her. That means to set her apart, to consecrate her. Just think think how much he loves you is that he did this for you so that he could take you and just set you apart. And he said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to set you apart. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He took us 
who were dirty, nasty, filthy sinners. And he said, he cleansed us by the washing of the word. And through the word of God, as that word of God came, it's a cleansing and it washes us and it cleans us. It sanctifies us. It sets us apart. And he says, I do this in verse 27 so that he may present the church to himself in splendor. That means brilliant purity, moral character. He says, I do this to present them without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. God, Jesus says, I want to present my bride right here without spot or wrinkle or blemish. I have never been to a wedding, nor have I ever conducted a wedding, where the bride came walking down the aisle and she had stains all over her wedding dress and it was wrinkled and disheveled and just looked flat nasty. You ever been to one like that? I never have. It is as pristine as can be, isn't it? It's perfect. And they come walking down. And what it says here is that Jesus wants to present his bride. So take Jesus as, as the groom. And he has his bride and he wants to present his bride. Now, you think about when you got engaged and you wanted to take uh, your uh, future bride to either meet your parents or to meet some friends, were you kind of excited about that? Did you really want to present her and just show the best of who she was? And, and she dressed up and she was looking fine. And then when she would come and, and meet your family or meet others, you were excited to present her? Well, you see, Christ wants to present us and he's going to present us to himself in heaven as we come to the end times. And as he presents her, he says, I want her to be without spot. I want her to be without wrinkle. I want her to be without blemish. I want her to be perfect, totally cleansed. Something that only he can do for that. And so you say, well, when will this take place? I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19, okay? Look to Revelation chapter 19. And we will look at the sixth verse, six through eight, Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, talks about everyone's rejoicing in heaven. And in verse six, it says, this is the marriage supper of the lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. He says, here will be the bride. And Jesus is going to be providing, presenting the bride, which is the church. It's us. He provides the whole church. And he will present the church to the heavenly host and saying, this is my bride. No spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. Now, because of what Christ has done, it is his love that will be able to cleanse us and to purify us of this. But because of what Christ has done, we should be totally committed to him. I want you to follow me on this. 
Christ says, I want to present my bride spotless, pure at the end of time. You and I know that we cannot do that on our own. Only Christ can do that. But if that is the goal, is for him to present us spotless, then should I not also, while living here on earth, try to be the same way, spotless without blame? Because that's what pleases the groom. And that's what I should do because he gave his life for me. So I should live for him. And so it says in here that, um, that the church, we have spots and we have wrinkles. The church has spots. Spots. Spots is a defilement from something on the outside. It's the stain that happens on the outside. Things from our culture, things that happen in our life that we do that bring stain to us. Have you ever ruined your favorite tie by getting a stain on it? Boy, that chaps me. I remember Janice bought me this beautiful tie. I was so excited. First time I wore it to church. First time I wore it to church. All thrilled. After church, going to go get some Mexican food. You ever noticed that when you're eating, and whether it's being you're chipping and dipping or you're eating on a fork or eating with a spoon, as you're going to your mouth, you get that sensation that not all of it made it to your mouth? Do you get that? You know, it's not like somebody has to tell you. It's like you go, I don't know if this all made it. And then you look and you, and you first start at your plate to see if it dropped there. No. Then you look at the table. You go, no. Then you kind of look at your lap and you go, no. And then you look, there it is. It's on the tie. And it's one of those things that believe it or not, could not it couldn't get out. And so what I've got to do is wait till vests come back in because then I will be okay because the stain's about right there and I can sort of cover, cover that up. That stain, that defilement, that's the way we look. We're stained by this world. We're stained by the things that we do. And it says the church has all these blemishes on it. And then it talks about wrinkles. Wrinkles are not something caused from the outside. It's from decay on the inside. And so when we look at the church and we look at ourselves and we see there's stains on the outside, but there's also decays on the inside. And so I'm dying on the inside because of the way I'm living my life. And I've got stains on the outside because of the things I've given into the culture. And so I am a blemished creature. And yes, Christ can forgive me of my sins and he can cleanse me. But what he desires is to say, Danny, as much as possible through the power of the Holy Spirit, let's see if we can stay in that cleansed condition. And we should do this because of what he's done for us. And so when you think about that, and you think about what, how we should live our life, you then come to the second purpose of the church, and that is this, that we are to model Christ in behavior. The second purpose of the church is that we are to model Christ in behavior. It is what we call discipleship. We call discipleship. I'm to model Christ in behavior. He is the one who will totally cleanse me and be able to present me to himself. So if he is the one that can do that from, uh, from a righteousness standpoint, then I need to see what kind of life was he leading and I need to live that type of life. I need to do exactly what Jesus was doing because that's what he wants out of my life. So I need to model Christ in behavior. Look at this verse. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And he says, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. 
For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Look where that word underlined, imitators. You're to become an imitator of the Lord. This is where we get our word mimic. This is where you get the word that means to copy, to follow the example. You are to be an imitator of the Lord. You are to mimic him and to copy him. Men, how many times has your wife looked at you and says, our child is just like you? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends. <laughs> Sometimes you go, yeah, yeah, they are. Other times you go, yeah, they sure are. Yeah, they just like me on that. I would love for us to be like someone to come up to us and say, you know, you're just like Christ. I see Christ in you. You're an imitator of Christ. You're one who follows him. You see what he does and you imitate him. Now, an imitator of Christ is what we call a fully devoted follower of Christ. He is the one that makes us pure with splendor. So while we're here on earth preparing for heaven, why don't we model Christ in behavior so that we can also try to be as pure without spot and without wrinkle? And then he says in here that you become an example. He says, and you became an example to others. Think about that. You imitate Christ. And when you imitate Christ, you become an example to others. I love that word example. That word example, which is also translated model in the New International Version, is a word that means to strike and to leave an impression. You strike and you leave an impression. Think about the old typewriters. You take an old typewriter, if you took the ribbon out of the old typewriter, and then you push the key, push the E key. And when you push the E key, this little arm comes up, and it's got this E right here, and it slaps right into the paper. And when it slaps into the paper, you can pull the paper out, and you'll see an indention there that says E. It's an impression that has been left. And the word says that when you imitate Christ, you then become an example to others, which means every time you meet with others, you intersect your lives with others, you leave an impression. You leave an impression of Christ. Wow. And he says, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But the way we do that is we have to model Christ in behavior. We need to imitate him. And when we say imitate him, that doesn't mean that you grow long hair and a beard and you wear a tunic and sandals and you walk everywhere. What it means is you let the life of Christ be manifested in your life. You let the life of Christ be manifested in your life. You maintain humility. Uh, You obey God completely. Uh, You begin to demonstrate servanthood. You extend forgiveness to others. You love supremely. You do these things that the Lord did. And when you do that, you begin to manifest the life of Christ in you. And the purpose of the church is to model Christ in behavior. So how do we do that? How do we do that here at a local congregation like Shades Mountain Baptist Church? I'll just give you two things real quick. Number one, we equip believers. We equip believers. This is one of the purposes of our church. You are to take individually, you have a responsibility to take a discipleship journey. We as a church have the responsibility to equip you to do that journey. In Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, this is what it says. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to take believers from infant stage and grow them to maturity. That's what we're supposed to do. And as a church, our responsibility is to equip. You know what the word equip means? It means to prepare for a journey, to prepare to embark on a journey. You make a decision for Christ, and then you join a local church. You become a part of Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Our responsibility is to get you started on this journey. You are to embark on a journey, on a journey of discipleship. And so what we do is we prepare you for that journey. We're packing your bag. We're helping you map out a course. We are to equip you so you can make that journey. And that's the joy of the church. And that's why we need to meet together. That's why we need to be together is because we need to help each other along this particular journey. When you come to a Sunday worship service like this and you come and you magnify God in worship, I say, praise God, that's great. We need to do it. But that's not enough. You need to be involved in a small group. And that's why we have what we call Sunday school. And these small groups to where you can meet together with others and you study God's word and you listen to the journeys of other people and you try to be equipped for the journey that you're on. That's why we have Wednesday night life classes. That's why we have discipleship classes. That's why the young people spent this entire weekend learning about Christ is enough. It was a time of discipleship. It was a focus of equipping them, of preparing them to embark on that journey. And that's what we do. That's a part of of our purpose. And so it is to get us ready, get us ready to be presented by God without spot, without wrinkle, and to do our best to live for him. And this is why you will hear us as a church tell you we're looking at ways to improve discipleship, looking at ways to drive it even deeper. And whenever you hear us bring something to you about that, you just know that's one of the purposes of the church, to model Christ in behavior. We need to be equipped. Every one of us that's a believer is on that discipleship journey, and we need help. And that's one of the purposes of the church, is to equip you and me for this particular journey. And let me tell you the last thing, and that is to encourage believers. A part of the equipping process also is to encourage believers. We used this passage last week, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. A part of the equipping process or this model Christ in behavior is we just need to be encouraged and do life together. It may be a note It may be something you hear in a sermon. It may be something that a Sunday school teacher says. It may be something in a small group that someone shares. It could be a text that someone sends you. It could just be the fact that when you walk through these doors, someone gave you a hug and said, I was thinking about you and praying for you this week. It's an encouragement. And I have never in all of my life met any person who said, hey, I don't want encouragement. I don't need any of that stuff. Hey, I'd like to know, hey, don't build me up, don't encourage me, okay? We all need it. We all need it. And when you come together as a church and we're trying to model Christ in behavior, we need to be equipped for that journey, but we also need to come together to encourage one another. That Revelation 19 passage about the feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb, and they say, hear these, hear all these voices, it's like the roar of waters and thunder, and then all of a sudden, here's the bride that's being presented, that's the church. 
I read that passage and nowhere in that passage did I see that when the church is presented and they have this huge feast that they're going to set up TV trays in some separate rooms so you can be by yourself. We're all going to be together because it's a feast of celebration. We need to do life together. And that's why we come together as a church and we get equipped and we get encouraged and we want to model Christ in behavior and be just like him. Jesus Christ is the one who will cleanse the church, his bride, for that amazing feast in Revelation 19. But in the meantime, we are to submit to him and to live according to his word to be a bride without spot and without wrinkle. And in order to do that, we need to imitate Christ. I've always been a fan when I've grown, as I was growing up of people who did impersonations. I love it when people can impersonate other people and do it well. When I grew up, there was a guy by the name of Rich Little. And Rich Little was the guy that would always do the impersonations. And he was incredible. And he, you just felt like you were looking right at that person. He was interviewed, asked him, well, how do you... How do you do this? And specifically, we're talking to him about a presidential election that was coming up. And naturally, he was trying to be able to get both candidates. And he says, what I will do is I will watch an hour and a half presidential debate. I will watch it frame by frame 50 times. I don't know about you. Just watching one presidential debate is enough to send me off, but to frame by frame 50 times. Watch that whole thing once. Let's go back and let's watch it again. Frame by frame by frame. He says, I will do that 50 times in order to try to be able to capture who these two men are so that I can best imitate them. Let me ask you a question. How well are you doing trying to imitate Christ? How much time are you putting into it? To be able to learn him, who he is, and what he is asking you to do. May we have that same commitment to be able to take time in God's word and get to the point that we're imitators of Christ and then we model him in behavior and we do that, then we are a bride that is being presented that can be spotless, without wrinkle, and without blemish. Last week, we talked about magnifying God in worship and today model Christ in behavior. And I can't think of a better opportunity to both worship and to be edified and to be equipped than to participate in the Lord's Supper. And in just a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And what the Lord's Supper is, it's a remembrance of what Jesus did with his disciples on the night of his arrest. As they met at the Passover meal, and as they were a part of that Passover meal, he took two of the elements of the meal and he gave them some further meaning. He took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, it represents my blood, which is being poured out for you. He was letting them know that he was getting ready to go to the cross. And then he says, every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. 
And so when we have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper, we do it remembering Christ for what he's done. And at the same time, we are glorifying him and praising him and also looking forward to when he comes back. So there's both looking in the past, we look at today, and we also look at the future aspect of it. I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to prepare, uh, to get in their positions, uh, to prepare the distribution of the elements. And let me give you just some instructions. First of all is who can participate in partaking of the Lord's Supper? Uh, Anyone who is a part of the church universal. That means if you've ever made a decision for Christ as your Savior, you may say it's been born again, adopted into God's family. Uh, you, you knew you were lost. You accepted his gift of grace. Now you are saved. You're a part of the church universal. You can participate and be a part of this. You do not have to be a member of our church. Uh, you just have to be a part of the church universal. I've made that decision for Christ. In just a moment, uh, these men will um, deliver the elements. And as they do, we ask you to take that and just hold on to it. And as you hold on to it, after everyone is served, I will then walk us through uh, both the taking of the wafer and also the drinking of the juice. So uh, as everyone uh, is in their place, I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And as I lead us in a word of prayer, I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said that we are to examine ourselves and that when we come to this point, it's a time of examination. As you've heard the word that's been preached, examine yourself. How are you doing? How are you doing in this journey with Christ? And may it be a time to where if God puts some things in your heart, let it be a time of repentance. Let it be a time of confession to him. And to have your heart right and ready so that when you partake of the elements that uh, you know that you're in line with God and with what he wants for you in your life. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to remember what you have done for us on Calvary. As we partake of this Lord's Supper, I pray each person here that your Holy Spirit would move unhindered. Nothing else would be on their mind. No other thoughts about other things to be done today, this week. Just focus on their heart. And as your Holy Spirit pierces each one of our hearts... May he convict us of things to where we have not been true to you. We have not been that faithful bride to you. And Lord, may he also bring us to points of praise to where you remind us of the great goodness and the things that you have done for us. And it just begins to be a sacrifice of praise. All of these things, Lord, we pray your spirit will control this time. And help us to be able to remember and thank you for what you've done, for what you're doing today, and looking in expectation for your return. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.